This is the Future of the Future show. I am your host, Mateo Berbejillo. Chris Roach, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to uh, talk with you. Nice. Chris, I want to talk about your story as a solopreneur, um, and I want to start with the beginning, right? So where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Manchester, England, which is in the northwest of England. Very nice. And, and when and why did you go to the States? Yes, yeah, so I was I was big into uh, football or, or soccer, as you guys call it, growing up. Um, always played to a, a pretty high level, played on the, the school team, uh, played on the club academies. And I was always at a level where I just wasn't good enough to really make it to the next level and kind of go pro and in England. There isn't really that many options. You either go pro or you don't. And a lot of players that go pro get picked up very, very early. So by the time you hit 14, 15, 16, if you're not already been noticed by scouts or playing with one of the professional clubs, academies, you're not going to go pro. Um, and what I believed at the time was if I came to America, the collegiate system gave you that opportunity to continue to play and basically act as a professional for four years and then there was still kind of in my head that chance of going professional afterwards so for me it was about extending the lifetime of me playing you know soccer at a competitive level so i came over played at the collegiate level for four years um didn't go pro afterwards but then kind of went into the sport of business instead but that was my journey of coming over to america was to continue to play at that collegiate level because i just wasn't ready to really fully give up on that dream of becoming a professional Got it. Do you still play football? I do, yeah. I still play for uh, I like an amateur league in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, we play, play in the, the summer and the fall. So the season actually is just starting up. So I'll be heading back to Wisconsin at the end of this month. I, I've missed the first two games of the season, but I'll be heading back at the end of end of May to uh, to hopefully finish out the rest of the season with them. Nice. Very nice. Um, so I like what you said about the sport of business. When did you realize that in that sport, you wanted to build your own business instead of working for someone else? Yeah, I think I've always uh, wanted to build my own businesses. I've always had, uh, honestly, kind of a chip on my shoulder. I've always, uh, I, know, I always get told pretty frequently I'd be a terrible employee. I just, I don't have the innate ability to just be directed and told what to do and to do it without question, which I think is what makes, you know, a lot of great qualities for middle-level management is, you know, you go and you execute, whereas I like to think why. So even growing up in school, you know, when I was in high school, I was selling sweets. I started selling fish at one point. Um, I was working odd jobs here and there to make some cash. I was trying to flip things. I remember flipping uh, drum kits, guitars, like random things like that, that I could do anything I can get my hand on. I was trying to, to make money on. And I've always been in that position where I just wanted to kind of figure out how to make more money. And I was always in that belief that I could make more money doing it by myself than I would working for someone at the time you know you're working for six seven pounds an hour it doesn't take a lot to be able to figure out how to make more money in that same time period right did, did, did you grow up um i mean were your parents entrepreneurs or was it something that you picked up sometimes you know it depends on the family but was it something that was running in your family or you simply picked that up on your own Yeah, I actually, so I pretty much had both ends of the spectrum. So my, my mom, she's a physiotherapist. Uh, she still is. She's always run her own practices for the last 20 years. Everybody in her family has always owned some kind of small business, whether that's a 
jewelry store, a you know physiotherapist practice. They all have had their own kind of small businesses, but it's all been brick and mortar. On my dad's side, he's always worked for large companies. He's been at the same company. You know, he was at it for like 30 years, like a very like loyal employee. Uh, and I got to the point where I was like, I didn't know which really direction I was going to go, but I started to kind of have these, I guess you could say entrepreneurial traits. And I just started to kind of think about ways that I could make money outside of just the norm. And that really opened up this whole world to me. And it wasn't until I got to college and I, in America, in the university system, started looking at kind of the entrepreneurship side, got into like understanding what SaaS products were that I really thought that I could have a career actually in SaaS as well, because it's something I'd never even really been made aware of. Nice. So, so when you got started, uh, that was when you were in college. How how did you get started? You were looking at those SaaS products. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So the way I came over to England was, or so I came over from England was, you get basically connected with a recruiter, uh, an agency, um, and they basically connect you with college coaches. You pay a fee, and they place you, you know, at a university that's a level that you can play at. And I remember at the time thinking. This guy's bringing over 50 to 100 kids a year doing this. So this guy's making a, a good amount of money doing this. And I'm thinking, there's a lot of people in England that you have to pay because you don't understand the system. You're basically paying because you don't know what's going on. So someone that's been through the system, someone that understands it, it's actually not that complicated. But it's kind of this black box when you're in England. And it wasn't very popular at the time then. You know, I'm going back 10 years now. There weren't that many people coming over from England to play. The numbers have astronomically increased. Now it's a lot more, it's actually a much more common path for guys to come over from England, guys and girls to come over from England, play in the collegiate system. You know, you see that even with uh, a lot of the, even if you look at like the, the England women's national team, like a lot of them play in universities in England. Like you've seen this more of a trend going on. But 10 years ago, there weren't that many people doing it. And we were in a position where we'd come over, we got connected with this, this guy that had kind of brought us over. I remember thinking, there's got to be a way to automate this process because what it came down to is academic level, what location and state you wanted to be in, and then finding a way to connect with the college coaches. And all their information was public. So I started to build this database of all of the schools based on the academia, based on the college coaches, get the contact information. And we built out basically what was equivalent at the time to like a LinkedIn, but specifically for the college soccer recruiting platform and we built it with the intention of doing it to help international students because, you know, even on our team, we had guys from England, Scotland, uh, South Africa, uh, Mexico. We had guys coming all over the world to come and play at this college. And the more research we did, we actually found out that it was kids in the US that were still getting taken advantage of kind of in the same way where they were paying agencies and they were paying recruiting companies, you know, thousands of dollars to get them connected with the Division three school 200 miles from their house. So their parents were paying all this money to get connected. So we realized there was actually a much bigger market, even just in the US, which is how we eventually transitioned into uh, effectively a, a social media platform specifically for college recruiting, which started domestically. And then eventually we then expanded it into internationally once we got some kind of traction with it. Nice. Are you um, continuously looking, whatever you are doing, are you looking at things trying to understand how they work, how you can improve them. Is that something like comes comes natural to you? Yeah, it's horrible. I, I can't see something without thinking about the different processes. It's really frustrating because it means you can't enjoy a lot of things because you look at it and you think, I could do this better. There's got to be an easier way to do this. Like this process is not efficient. Now it's very, very effective when I go into like with my 
with my job now, with my company now, we go in, we do fractional chief revenue officer, we come in as marketing specialists, we help like understand the pipeline, help understand kind of move through the funnel. It's very good for that component because we can look at what's going on and we can spot your weaknesses very, very quickly. And a lot of companies have the same issues, but in everyday life, everything you talk about, every time I go and do anything, all I'm doing is thinking, this is so inefficient. There's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a way to do this, you know, without having so much labor involved. So on every day, it's quite frustrating, but for specifically what we do with consulting now, it's a very, very handy skill to have. You you probably must go crazy whenever you travel because traveling is sometimes such a frustrating experience that if you're thinking and over and over like oh again <laughs> um it's not so it's not me that goes crazy it's my wife that goes crazy it's my wife that goes crazy because i have to constantly suggest things and say them out loud like, i can't internalize them i say them out loud so it's not me that goes crazy it's my wife that goes crazy unfortunately uh, oh man um so tell me more about what you are doing today you you started talking about it you go and you look at what companies are doing you improve the whole marketing process tell me more about that yeah i mean so my company's catalyst consulting we really started off just as a paid marketing agency you know that's really where we came in we were a demand generation agency we helped companies go to market with uh paid digital advertising paid social paid search you know linkedin facebook google bing snapchat you know instagram you name it you know we were working on those platforms we've evolved now into really a what I call a pipeline and growth focused marketing agency for the fact that we pull in all of the data. So we're looking at conversion rates. We're looking at the sources of where opportunities are coming from. We're looking at this as a complete and entire funnel right now. And we're focused on how we can drive the maximum top of funnel to drive the maximum customers and largest return on investment across all of your channels, whether that's just specifically paid social or whether that's looking at other elements as well. So we really hit the market now as a, a consulting firm for typically series A to series C companies that are going to market. And we've had this explosive growth in the last six months because as the market has shifted from growth at all costs to actually having to be mindful of where you're investing and making sure you're getting a return on your investment, more and more companies are looking to work with companies like Catalyst because we can poke holes in, in where your issues are. We can show you how to be more efficient and how to drive demand more cost effectively by looking at the entire funnel. And that's kind of the the evolution of the company over the last two years. Okay. Is it is it both outbound and inbound or mostly focused on inbound? Mostly focused on inbound, but we do do some work with outbound, especially prospecting automated email outreach, um, helping teams understand how to social sell, how to leverage you know, automation for outbound rather than necessarily just picking up the phone, smiling and dialing. It's about trying to really complement the inbound and the targeted approach that we take with specific messaging and specific communication cadences going to outbound prospects. Nice. What would you say are the... You you are working with many companies. Uh, business is exploding. You must be seeing patterns. You must be seeing things that companies are not leveraging or not doing right. What would you say are the maybe three things you find the most that companies could be doing better that are not doing better today? Yeah, three things. I mean, big mistakes companies make. Um, first and foremost, they split their budget too too thinly across different platforms they try and do too much especially early stage companies it's a very 
common mistake we see with spending 10, 15, $20,000 a month, but we want to optimize it over five platforms. It just doesn't make sense. You need to find which platform is going to be your most profitable. You need to scale it. You need to really saturate it. And then at that point, then we can look to actually move into other platforms. 99% of the time, that's going to be Google ads. So that's where, again, we're looking at with very early stage companies, Google ads is the low hanging fruit. Our belief and our core belief with, with that is saturate that channel until you can't spend any more profitably, then look to move on to another platform. And that, again, that allows us to have very strong return on investment very early with clients. We always say this is kind of the proof in the pudding part when we when a new client starts and we implement this strategy, we maximize it, we build the confidence that paid marketing can be profitable because that also seems to be a misconception that we can't, you know, it's 2023, paid marketing is not profitable anymore. It's only for brand awareness. It's not true. We have very, very profitable campaigns that we're running, but we have to build that confidence in order to help them kind of expand. Second thing that I would say is companies are investing too much in the short term without understanding the long term. So they want results instantly without necessarily having an understanding of what it takes to do that. So if you have a 90-day sales cycle, don't expect to get customers in the first 30 days. It just doesn't make sense. Understanding those metrics is going to help you have a more level playing field when it comes to actually launching your campaign. And it just puts you in a position to be able to succeed. And then finally, having the insight across the entire company is something that I have seen very, very few companies execute well. So when we come in and we build out very large dashboards for you, and we come into this more like this fractional CRO work, and we can take your entire business, we can show what your churn is, where the issues in your funnel are. Just having that general health of your business and understanding, it seems to be something that early stage companies lack. And it's not because of their appetite and the desire to understand it. They just don't know how to get to those numbers or they don't have time in the day to be able to put it in because it's, it's such a secondary priority. But when you zoom out a little bit, that's going to show you where you can really be most effective. And that's where, again, we come in and help companies in those three ways. Nice. Very nice. Um, and when you are deciding who to work with and, and who maybe avoid, right? I assume there are, you know, traps that, that probably are going to be uh, uh, complicated. Um, things like product market fit, things like messaging. Um, how far do you get there or how, you know, is that a prerequisite for companies being able, you know, you can only go so far, right? I mean, if the company doesn't have a product market fit, mm -hmm. there's not much you can do. Or if they don't have their messaging right, do you get there or do you just tell them that it's a prerequisite to, to get started, that they have something going on there? Typically, we're looking for some kind of traction already outside of just personal relationships with the founder. A lot of businesses get to seed fund, even to series A, based purely on relationships of the CEO and founder. And then when it comes to actually launching a marketing campaign or even just launching any kind of campaign, they've no clue what direction to go in because they're so used to just having warm leads, referrals from the VCs, just kind of soft pitch to them that they can then close. When it comes to actually going and holding new business, it's a completely different animal to go after that. So we're looking for companies to have some kind of traction that at least we can build from. There are exceptions that we make. It really comes down to if we really believe in the products and the company. If there are companies that come to us and we work with a couple of companies like that that are very early at the moment, and it's really a good check on us because we're coming in and we're looking at this company and we're going, this is really cool. Like, this is a great product that I want to be a part of. Those are the exceptions that we make. But for the most part, we're looking for companies that have a little bit of traction 
where we can pour gasoline on the fire, but you have to have that initial ember. If you've got nothing at the moment, you're going to hire us and it's just not going to be a good fit because we're not going to be able to get you to where you need to go because you don't have anything to build upon. You have to have those foundations. Uh, and for those that don't have the foundations, it's so much more time intensive on our side, specifically on my side, being kind of the go-to-market leader. It's a lot more time intensive for me. So I want to make sure if we're working with those kind of companies that I believe in the product and I want to make that company successful, it's not just about having one more client. I'd rather not have the client than have it than, than go after something you know, I don't believe in. Right, 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 right. Um, what's next? How, how big do you want to grow your business? Is there a limit you don't want to cross? Yeah, I mean, I had a very simple vision with Catalyst when I first started, and that was I was going to work as a consultant. I was going to work 10 to 15 hours a week. I was going to make my 10 grand a month, and I was going to be happy. And I got to there in 30 days, and it was great. And then I got bored. And I got to the point where I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I, I just hit a point where I was like, I, I'm not. I'm not hungry anymore. I'm not growing personally. I'm not taking on any more challenges. The clients I'm working with, they're all profitable. It's great. But I didn't want to take on new business. And we kind of like, I got to the point where we just kind of stopped really. And we just, you know, I got to the point where I could pretty much put everything on autopilot. And it was great for those, you know, two months that I was doing that. But I just got really, really bored and I wasn't fulfilled with it. So then we started to grow. And over the last couple of months, we've hit, to me, we've hit a new level of growth where we're approaching those seven-figure years now. And it's a conversation where we're looking at this and figuring out, do we want to grow past this or do we want to shrink back to be in this boutique agency? Because we have to decide what we want to do because the bandwidth that we have and the number of clients that we have right now, it doesn't make sense. What I'm realizing more and more is that I want to see where Catalyst can grow to. Um, I want to continue to scale. I want to keep building out the team. I'm realizing now, you know, we're building out full-time team members. We're going to be at five full-time members with four part-time members. You know, we're building out very, very quickly with that. And I'm understanding the value now of building the team around the company rather than just being a solopreneur, which is what I really started. Um, so now I'm at a point where I want to grow very, very aggressively. But I'm not, it's not a growth at all costs mentality, but I'm now open to growing past where I thought previously I would have stopped the business. How, how does it feel? Uh, how does it feel to transition from a solopreneur to a larger business, to hiring people, to managing people? Um, do you see that as a challenge or do you see that as a, as a fun opportunity or both? I mean, it feels exhausting, to be honest with you. It's absolutely exhausting is, is where it's at at the moment. Um, but as a, as a challenge, it is definitely a challenge. Uh, it's a welcome challenge. And the team that we have built so far is such a unique, highly skilled, top-of-their-game team that it's making me more and more confident and excited to build this team. You know, we've got some of the best marketers. We've got some of the best project managers. In my opinion, we've got the best graphic designer in the country working for us. You know, we've been able to build this team now that is just A, A players, you know, top of their game players that are attracted to Catalyst. And what's happening now is the more we attract talent, the more we attract clients, the more it's this levels that we're building, the level of our work increases. And to me now, you know, I always make the argument to my guys now, I'm the worst marketer on the team at the moment. Because the guys we've hired are so much better and they're so much further along and they have so much more insight into individual platforms that it's great because I'm now learning again for the first time in a long time from marketers 
I've realized that there's levels that I didn't know about market, digital market for 10 years now, and there's levels that I still am missing. So it's very interesting to be able to build that team. That to me is a very unique challenge. And I've always enjoyed building teams. I've been very good at building teams, building in the right personnel and acting as the kind of the motivating force with that and making sure that we're all aligned on the same path with that. That's what I personally enjoy the most at the moment. How do you find those A players? It's, yeah, it's all from my network uh, and people just reaching out to me. I would say mainly from LinkedIn, but it's been, I, I mean, I've been in communities with marketers, you know, top marketing leaders now for two or three years where I'm very active in them. A lot of these communities know who I am. They know Catalyst. So when we want to go and hire, you know, a couple of months ago, we were hiring for a, a, a like a director of marketing, performance marketer, and we posted the job on LinkedIn. We had a hundred applications in six hours. I mean, this is going to be absolutely exhausting to go through these applications. So I started reaching out. I went through a few of them. There wasn't really exactly what I was looking for. I wasn't really sure exactly what I was looking for, um, but I knew I hadn't found it yet. So I started reaching out to, to people in my in my network and connections and just kind of feeling out. And there was actually a, a guy that ran another agency who'd been on my podcast recently. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, like, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you are at the top of your game right now. We're at the top of our game what if you came and joined Catalyst? Like we're bigger than your company at the moment. Like what if you basically brought that underneath Catalyst? And that was a great way. And again, he ended up joining. He's been fantastic in the first two months, like unbelievable, way better than even we could have hoped for. But that's the way where we can attract these different types of people. And for me now, the vision of Catalyst is so clear that people, once I talk to them about it, they get so excited, they want to join. And that's the difference is that we're attracting people with the excitement, with the energy, Everything is very, very optimistic with Catalyst at the moment. And there's a lot of companies out there that are struggling at the moment. We're not yeah. one of them. We're not going to be one of them. And if we can continue to expand in this climate, wait to see what happens once we get through like the negatives of everything that's going on right now. That's that's the difference. Is there a, there's a, just a different feel around the company, the energy, the motivation, the work ethic. Like It really is a... a a unique thing. It's a unique component I've never really been a part of is this much high energy. How many people do you need to to scale to where you want to scale? You, you may not know the, the answer, right? Because you continue to figure out that, you know, you get to a certain place, you like it, but you get bored and you want more, right? And so the, the question of how big do you want to be, maybe there's no answer to that right now. But what I'm trying to go, I guess, is you are picking up A players from your network. Do you think that's scalable long-term or is for this phase of Catalyst Consulting, uh, maybe when you are 100 people, are you going to continue hiring the same way? You don't know yet. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, if we hit a point where we have 100 people, the hiring won't be the same. What I've seen in the past from a lot of agencies that have grown very, very quickly is they can't maintain that quality. And that's the biggest issue that you face when you try and expand is you can bring in the eight, but you can bring in 28 players. And it's great because you have 20 people with this exciting energy, but then you go to a hundred. And at some point you don't need to have all eight players. Like not everybody has to be an eight player. There are people that, like you said, like, I'm a terrible employee because I ask all the questions. There are sometimes you just need people to be able to execute and there's nothing wrong with that. For me though, I don't have a definite answer of where I want to grow the company to. I want to grow the company until... I feel that we're 
not able to deliver that same quality. At that point, I will stop growing the company because I don't want the reputation of Catalyst to ever suffer because of selfish goals that I have for growth. And to be honest with you, I was interviewing a, a founder uh, last week, actually. Last week, they're a $250 million company and money's it's not this, it's it's a game. And that's why, again, when I call it the, the sport of business, there's no monetary goal I'm trying to get to. I don't right. I live a very comfortable life right now. I'm very happy. I travel around in an RV full time. We live all over the country. Like we have a very great life at the moment. And I don't have this ambition to go and make, you know, $30 million just for the sake of making 30 million. If there's a goal for it and there's something we want to do with that, absolutely. But for now, it's more important for me personally to make sure that everybody on my team is looking at, is taken care of, is looked after, is paid above what they deserve. And that's the other big thing right now is we're paying higher than we should be because I want to attract the right people. And I don't want them thinking about other things. I want them focused on Catalyst. I want them buying into the vision. We do quarterly profit sharing. You know, we have all these incentives to be able to motivate individuals to come and make Catalyst successful because while we're all rowing at the same beat, we're going to go faster. And that's the entire vision with Catalyst. Very nice. Very nice. Um, um, what what brings you, uh, this is more philosophical, right? But you're driving your RV. Um, you have both a, a, a super strong passion about having a great business in terms of the service that you provide, in terms of solving problems. Uh, but at the same time, um, you seem to be happy with simple things, right? With with in 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 the yeah. good sense, simple things in the good sense, right? Like uh, enjoying, like like you are able to enjoy life and that independence. Is that what drives you? The independence and being able to just go anywhere uh, and continue to have a great business, but at the same time drive your RV to wherever you want to drive it. It's a very dangerous combination because I don't require a lot to be happy which means I don't need to have a big house, lots of cars, which means money's not a motivating factor for me. I live a very simple life. And this is the thing, people always laugh. I live in an RV. I travel around in an RV. I like to go sit on the beach on the weekends, in the evenings. I'll take my laptop sometimes and I'll go and sit by the, where we're at right now is like right, literally right on the ocean. I take my laptop down. This morning, I took all my calls outside with my coffee, you know, 6.30, 7 a.m. I'm out there working with my coffee this morning. I've got my weights outside. We've been surfing last weekend. I live a very simple life and I quite enjoy that. That's very dangerous because I don't have to work to go and try and make this a massive amount of money to be able to go and pay off all of these things. And therefore, what that means is we we make money and we grow the business on our own terms. So if a client's not a good fit for us, we don't need the client. We never get in that position. It gives us a lot of independence. So not only do I personally have a lot of independence on the fact that we travel around, we can go to any state, you know, we're full-time in an RV. We really have, we basically go wherever it's 70 degrees or warmer. That's kind of our golden rule. Like if it starts with a seven, we'll be there. If it's below seven, I have no interest in being there. So we've got this, you know, a lot of freedom with that. But at the same time, because the way the company is set up, we don't have an office, everybody works from home. We're in this really unique position where we can grow and we control our own growth. We never took on capital. We've been offered investments. We've always turned it down for the simple fact that we don't have to answer to anybody then. And it creates this independence. And it's a very dangerous combination when you're running a business and when you want to be part of a business like that. Because now, even the guys that work with me and the girls that work with me, 
they're seeing that and they're thinking, and it's it's a whole mentality. And that's what we look for when we, you know, we're looking to attract the right type of people. It's people that look for more than just a paycheck. If you just want a paycheck, don't come to Catalyst because although we pay well, it's not it's not our mentality. It's not the way that you know, kind of our our values that we look for in in employees. So it's sort of a lifestyle as well. It's an yeah, it's an it's an entire lifestyle. Um, but it's not a lifestyle business. That's the difference. It's not. It's a really successful, fast-growing business. There are some some weeks where I work eighty hours. There are some weeks where I work thirty. It's not this lifestyle business that I want to set up and work five hours a week and you know make the five ten a month. Like that's not what we're trying. We're trying to grow something more meaningful, but we're trying right. to do it in a way that's more unique and it's more independent and it doesn't rely on everybody telling you what to do. Nice. What opportunities excite you, right? When you think about the two next years, two to five next years, um, do you have milestones in your mind? Like, okay, I'm going to expand here. I'm going to do this. Now we're going to focus on, you know, the pipeline this way. Are there any things that you already have in your mind that excite you and you're working towards? Yeah. So we've been, we say we acquired that smaller agency when we, we, you know, onboarded our last marketer. So we, we acquired their agency, brought them on full-time. We're actually looking at potential acquisition at the moment of a different agency. So we've been looking at all these different options to be able to help us expand that way. In terms of milestones or goals, the I would say the long to reach, like the optimistic milestone for us this year is a million dollars. I'd like to cross, cross that seven figures in the second year of business. I think that'd be really cool to do. But realistically, we're looking to double every year, um, which we were already... We're already overpacing for doubling in size again this year. Um, if we could do it to the point where we hit a million, that'd be great. Um, but there's not a there's not a specific amount that we're looking for to hit. There's not like targeted milestones. It, it's you know it, it's more about helping us grow. We grow very very organically. We don't invest a lot in even our own paid advertising because we've never had to. We've always attracted clients. Our referrals has been our largest source of business. And the other thing is. We don't lose clients. We have a crazy high retention rate as well, where we've still got the majority of clients that we've been working with now for two years. So because of the fact we don't lose clients, because of the quality of work, because of the reputation, we grow very, very quickly without really having to put too much time into sales. And you know, my background is all in sales. So when the opportunities come in, I'm also pretty confident that we can you know, make those a good fit for us as long as it's a good fit for the company. Very nice. What what technologies do you think are shaping the future of your business? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be it'd be hard to not talk about the artificial intelligence at the moment because it's everywhere. Um, AI is going to you know AI is going to put marketers out of business. AI is going to put copywriters out of business. You know, there's all these thoughts with it that's coming out at the moment. Um, my my take on it is AI makes a a great marketer more effective. I think is where it comes into it. You know, I personally use AI for a lot of the copywriting. I use AI for a lot of um, you know elements of the business, and it makes me more effective, which means I can do more. It makes me more productive. Those components of AI, I think, are great. I don't think it's putting anybody out of business because the one thing that AI can't do is be a human selling to a human. It's just it's not going to get to that point in my you know my belief anyway. Uh, there is still something about the the context, the colloquialisms that. The language you use, and then even afterwards, you know, for a lot of our B two B SaaS companies, if they're larger ticket items, you still have to talk to salesperson. You're still going to have people involved. You know, there's still that process to go through. So I think it's definitely shaping it. I think there's a little bit of an over correction that people are trying to make right now. I don't think it's going to be quite as large 
um, in terms of replacing marketers as, as it's, you know, being kind of tapped to be. Yeah. I wonder many times if there will be like a AI hangover, right? That like I, I, I sell as well, right? And I, and I agree with you. Uh, but, you know, I might be biased because it's what I want to believe. But at the same time, when I'm being sold to, when I'm being sold to, I hate, I want to talk to someone. I want to talk to someone. Exactly. I want to connect. I want to see that connection. And that when I buy, you know, it, 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 unless I'm buying like a, like something from the supermarket, maybe even in the supermarket, I still like going through the queue where someone is talking to me. I'm putting my things on a bag and whatever. Uh, so I don't know. It's, uh, uh, I think I, I feel that way as a consumer. Let's put it that way. I feel that way as a consumer. Yeah, um, I know. I, I think there's with so much technology and so much going on, there is a, a desire and a need still from, from humans to want to talk to, to, and grand and being grounding positions. That's where, again, you know, when we reflect back to even like living in the RV right now, like it's very grounding to be able to just leave everything turn off the technology for us we just turn the wi-fi off it's great then nobody can get hold of us for a few hours like it's a really it's a really empowering situation to be at and you have the ability to do that and you just again it, it all comes down to that independence and i think that's something that is missing in a lot of technology there's a lot of people that have uh zoom fatigue there's a lot of people that are burnt out right now but the entire industry is set up to really crumble at the moment in terms of the workforce because everybody's being overworked like crazy and Nobody seems to have a solution for it. And that's where, to me, that's a bigger issue across the industry than whether AI is going to replace, you know, copywriting certain elements of it. Yeah, I agree. We talked a little bit about your free time. We talked about you You continue to play football. You were going to Milwaukee, uh, missed the first two games, but you were picked up. Uh, you were surfing. Where, where were you surfing the other day? You, you were talking about surfing. Yeah, we're in. Yeah, we're in uh, Navarre Beach at the moment, just on the Panhandle. Okay, nice. What Panhandle, like Florida? Florida, yeah, sorry, yeah. Just, yeah, in between, uh, we're in between Destin and Pensacola, Florida. So we're just up on the right. north side of, uh, all the, uh, it's the north northwest of Florida. I do, I do bodyboarding. I wasn't never, never very good at surfing, but I do bodyboarding. And I did, uh, I did bodyboard at Cocoa Beach. Uh, close to where you are, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I must admit, I'm not very good at it. I, I'm, I'm just literally just starting to get into it. So I'm still very much at the beginner stage and I'm still at the point where I get thrown around a lot and I spend a lot of time in the water than on the board. Um, <laughs> so I'm still like very, very early on with it. But it's something that I would like to get to get good at. Of course, I'm quite a big guy. So my balance isn't amazing. So I'm trying to figure out that. I've done a lot of exercises outside trying to figure that out. Um, but it's been it's been really fun to do it. But the the first time we went out, I mean, it was six foot waves to to kind of as a beginner to try it. So it was a little bit of a kind of sink, sink or swim. Um, so I didn't manage to get up the first time. I managed to get from some of the small waves. We're not on the big ones. So we're, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. Problem is here, it's so inconsistent. So, you know, here, it, last weekend was great. This week is going to be all flat. Hopefully next weekend it's picking up to like three or four foot waves. So we'll try again. But in the meantime, I've been practicing all the stuff outside trying to get ready for it. Nice. Very nice. Um, yeah. You know what they say, right? The best surfer is the one that enjoys it the most in the water. So, so yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. going. Um, I'm doing, I, I just turned 40 
uh, recently. And so with a group of friends, we're going to Costa Rica for our 40th uh, birthday. And so it's uh, like 10 guys in our 40s surfing in Costa Rica. I, I will tell you how we that's how it goes. After work. That sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I'm do, quite any do, do you do any other things besides uh, so the football, working out, surfing? You you seem to enjoy the 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 outdoors a lot, right? Yeah, I enjoy the outdoors a lot. I enjoy uh, physical like physical stuff. So I, I work out a lot. I run a lot. Um, mainly, mainly, yeah, mainly gym outside i have, I have dumbbells that i take with us if, like where we are here we're here for three weeks and there's a gym literally down the road that i'll go to um so i get into that kind of stuff like i've tried to stay pretty active um, i found running more and more recently has been honestly more therapeutic than anything like going for like six mile run or something just to like just clear your head first thing in the morning like that's been very very helpful for me recently um just as we've been like i said we've been growing we've been overwhelmed we've been you know really you know increasing our capacity as well so like that i found has been kind of a nice release recently um but outside of that i mean spending time we have a little dog uh you know my wife and i spending time you know together going on walks you know we love being by the water going on the beach things like that like that's really what we enjoy uh and then we also picked up pickleball for the first time uh about a month ago so we kind of been playing that as well that's kind of a good time um i mean quite enjoying that i played a lot of tennis growing up so it's similar-ish kind of uh motion so we quite enjoy playing that as well very nice, very nice. Um, last questions. What advice do you have for anyone that wants to become an entrepreneur or solopreneur? Yeah, I don't think you become an entrepreneur. I, I think you just start. Like, there's not a there's not a time where you're gonna say, "Hey, like now I'm an entrepreneur." Like, you either are or you aren't. Like, it's not like everybody is an entrepreneur. Like, you just need to try it. Like, it's not, and you'll quickly figure out if you if you want to do it or not. Um, a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur and try to be an entrepreneur and they find out it's not a good fit for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like some people like just aren't, they just don't want to do it. They don't have the risk for appetite and they're just not comfortable. And it, it really, it's too much stress because it is a lot of weight on your shoulders, especially at the size that we're at now where we've got employees, we've got overhead. Like when you're a solopreneur, it's a little bit easier, um, but there's a lot of weight on your shoulders to come with that. And you have to be you know, really willing to take on that accountability and that risk. But the best advice I'd give to someone is, just start and you don't have to quit your job to start. You don't have to, you know, leave your full-time, you, you know, your full-time gig to be able to do that. Just give it a go though. Start to do on the, on the side, start to figure out, you know, what you want to offer and whether that's becoming a marketer, if you want to become a marketing consultant, I actually built a course that teaches digital marketers how to go from being a full-time digital marketer to becoming a, 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 you know, a fractional CMO on the side, start a consulting firm, basically get to the point where you are, are a solopreneur. Actually, I built it right before we started building our team into full-time. So the next release of the course, we'll be actually building a team with it, but it's basically me reflecting back on the first 12 months and showing exactly what happened and how to be able to do that. Um, and that's been, yeah, that's been really successful with people signing up for it. We've been growing that. It's an online community and course. We've been growing that for the last uh, six months or so. It launched at the end of end of January. So I guess uh, three or four months, it launched at the end of January. And uh, you know, there's been a lot of marketers that have been going through that and learning how to break out on their own and start their own digital marketing agency, even just on the side to start off with. Very nice. Congrats. I love that. Thanks. It was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool project. Nice. Um, Chris, this, this has been amazing. I appreciate your time. Um, you know, uh, I, 
don't say this out loud, but you know, you you made me even want to like ask. Okay, so if I want to get into college consulting, what should I do? Don't tell that to my partner. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Seriously, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, likewise. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure.